0: welcome to strange bedfellows podcast where no question is too dark no topic too taboo join us to explore sexuality self-help and politics with our expert guests and friends we believe that sexual rights are human rights and that we can all create a brighter world through education and conversation parent, I am a certified holistic sex educator, I am a longtime sex worker and adult industry entertainer. My name is Elle Stanger and I'm a host of Strange Bedfellows podcast.
1: My name's John. You might know me as the audio engineer and editor of last season's podcast. I'm now returning as a co-host for season 2. I'm a 22-year-old gay man and activist, who will share my perspective in the coming season. Join us while we explore and uncover the things that make us squirm, make us shiver, make us tingle in delight, because sex and politics can make for some very strange bedfellows.
0: Hannah McIntyre is our guest today. Hi, Hannah. Hi. Hi. Hi, John. Hi, Hi. Uh, we had mentioned that we were gonna do a follow-up to our ASD Autism Asperger's episode uh, with a person who identifies more to that population. So Hannah McIntyre here is an 18-year-old autistic lesbian and yes. a service dog user and is an advocate and largely involved in the autistic community. So since we recently hosted a guest who worked in controversial ABA therapy, Uh, We were contacted by Hannah, who wanted to discuss a multitude of autism-related issues that we did not address in that episode. You can find and follow Hannah on Instagram at Hannah underscore McIntyre. That's H-A-N-N-A-H underscore M-A-C-I-N-T-Y-R-E. Hi, Hannah. Thank you so much for coming on.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um,
0: And you listen to the show,
2: right? yes I do how'd you find us um I think first I found you L, on Instagram and then found out that you guys had a podcast and started listening and yeah really enjoyed it and (laughs) listened to the autism episode and
0: yeah. yeah here we are cool I think you're one of our younger listeners yeah I love hearing from people so that's awesome um okay so Hannah, what age were you, let's dive
2: right in, what age were you diagnosed as autistic and how? So I was diagnosed about two years ago at around 16. Um, There's a facility that provides diagnostic assessments and testing for various things like autism and ADHD. And so they have a team of physicians and psychiatrists to help diagnose people, so I was taken there and then they did some testing and it lasted kind of like about half the day. Hmm. And by the end of the day, I had my diagnosis. Wow. Can
0: I ask what some of the testing looked like?
2: Yeah, it was really interesting, actually. Um, A lot of it since I was older was the doctor, like the physician, just talking to me and interacting with me, asking me about my past and what my relationships look like, especially with friends, some of my interests. Um, the few exercises that we did do that I can remember that kind of stood out, they had me read a book um, that was just pictures. It was no words. Hmm. So I had to infer what was going on and put my own words like into what was going on, which hmm. was really interesting. Hmm. And then another one that they did yeah. was they gave me like kind of a box of trinkets and it was just random things like a paper clip and a toothpick or a small piece of paper. And I had to pick a few things and then come up with a story surrounding them. Hmm. And that was really weird, but
0: yeah. Huh, that is really, really interesting. Um, Okay, So, Mm -hmm. so what did that do for you? I mean, I guess the question is like, your parents brought you there, right? Or what was the impetus yeah. of having you tested? Like, why did it come up? Like, we think you might be on the spectrum or?
2: Yeah. So I kind of been wondering for a few years because my mom worked in special ed and with disabled and autistic kids and I had as well. So I saw a lot of these traits kind of slowly put all the pieces together. You know, I kind of, was seeing them in myself, doing my own research. Mm -hmm. Um, I go to therapy, so I talked to my therapist about it. I talked to uh, some of my trusted teachers and caseworkers at school. And eventually it was recommended by some of my teachers to my parents that I go and get tested.
0: Okay, so that's really fascinating because you had a lot of people you could defer to you know, because it's hard to be objective, mm-hmm. like, about ourselves. It's impossible, I think. Um, yeah. Okay. So can I ask what your learning styles are? Or, like, what were the teachers, like, hearkening back to if they were giving feedback? Like, d- does that make any sense? Like, um, like, a lot of kids that, you know, are on the spectrum or something you know, quote, brilliant in some area will like read an entire book like under their desk while the lesson is happening. Right. You know, stuff like that. Like, did you have any things that kind of stood out to you?
2: Yeah, I was um, like a gifted kid and I did go to a gifted program for like a number of years. Mm -hmm. And so that was definitely one thing. Like I had a higher than average IQ and was like a really voracious reader and my language skills were like much more advanced than my peers. Mm -hmm. And so that was definitely like something that stood out and yeah, I don't know. I think it was just maybe more of the social aspect, especially when I got older, that kind of stood out to some teachers maybe. Okay. Can I ask what that looked like? Yeah. um, I've had, like up until recently and having my diagnosis didn't really know how to interact with my peers and kind of what was going on. I thought, and I was diagnosed with, um, social anxiety and I thought it was more anxiety based and social anxiety when really it had to do a lot with, you know, like different things like masking and trying to fit in, uh, with other, um, neurotypical people Mm, mm -hmm.
0: yeah I used to watch and see how people would act and then try to like craft my personality based on what worked for other people which I think is a social anxiety in itself um yeah yeah. it definitely is okay so I I have a in school I
1: was the other way around for for like the autism aspect I was the kid that like did not get into the, uh, they, they actually used to separate the gifted kids out during one of our classes and make them do a different type of assignment, <clears
0: mm-hmm. <clears
1: <throat> which I always thought was interesting.
0: Yeah. If, if and the then uh, afford that.
1: I, I distinctly remember being like, kind of like socially dumb to the point where I was like, oh, well, the teacher has taken away my books in the past. And cause I just read during class. Mm-hmm. And right. what I would do is I would just put several books in my backpack. Cause I was like, well, if they take one, then I can just have another, <laughs> Right, yeah. like that's fine. That's normal to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just did that, and then they got frustrated. And at one point, she uh, it was in fifth grade. She just kept taking books from me, and then she took my backpack. Oh my god! Um, and mm. she quit after that year. Oh my god! You broke yeah. her. So it was her first year of teaching. Oh my god! And this yeah. this woman quit at uh, at my elementary oh my school. God. Well, not for everyone. So.
2: I think it's it's very it's very easy for autistic people to kind of get caught up and confused in situations like those that you take sort of literally where it's like she takes away my book okay I'll just take out another one you know like yeah Mm -hmm. that's a very common thing
1: with like no concept of social nuance which you know pops up in your life but I remember like it was Easter and she had put little like little Easter eggs and I saw her hiding them in a way where she like didn't want people to see (laughs) And I was like, ooh, this is interesting. I wonder what this is. And then she went to the front of the class, and I raised my hand, and I'm like, are we having an Easter egg hunt? Mm. And she, like, started crying because she wanted it to be a surprise. Oh, my God. (laughs) And, like... I was just like so confused because I was like I thought we were gonna be excited. I didn't know you were gonna be mad at me now. (laughs) It's like so hard sometimes. And now I've learned, but it's like so energy consuming. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's all miscommunication too. To really,
0: I don't know, exist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's fascinating. Um Hannah, I noticed in the bio you describe yourself as an autistic lesbian. Um So can you explain any of your your thoughts or feelings on identity-first language versus person-first language? Because I remember from the previous episode, yeah, what I had read was that communities tend to be pretty split 50-50. I don't know if that's accurate, but what Mm -hmm. are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, so I think kind of first of all, we have to like... Realize that the autistic community is pretty unique and kind of different in the fact that it's sort of separated into two groups which is um autistic individuals and then parents teachers and therapists of autistic people which we really don't see in a a bunch of other communities where we have you know like lgbt people and then parents of lgbt people Mm. (laughs) you know there's not really too many communities where we have Those parents, teachers, and therapists taking up so much of the space. True. Because a lot of the focus has been on youth
0: for a long time. So those caregivers tend to be around.
2: Yeah. And what's really frustrating is that, you know, although autistic people should be the ones being listened to, usually it's the parents, teachers, and therapists instead. And it's those people who are governing and policing us our community, and our language when really it should be the other way around. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Totally. And, and, you know, the main difference and argument for identity-first language and against person-first language is that my autism is not an accessory. You know, my neurology is not an accessory. Advocates of person-first language love to say things like, your autism doesn't define you or don't let it define you or mm. my child is a person before a disability mm. and really it's like my autism does define me it's mm-hmm. an intrinsic part of myself and my identity and mm. how i see and experience the world
0: mhm yeah. yeah yeah and
2: if you think if you think about other times that we use identity first language we generally see it um whenever it's an important part of who that person is like a muslim person a queer person a black person mm-hmm. these all really deeply affect who the person is and how they both see and experience the world mm-hmm. and not only is it a huge part of their identity but there's a subsequent community that's rich with its own culture
0: Mm mm-hmm. The only one that comes up for me that I want to mention is because in a previous episode uh, with a previous guest, uh, Vanessa Riken, I think we talked about homeless person versus person who is homeless, because in that case, the person's homelessness is not inherent to them, but it's their current situation. And also homeless person mm-hmm. has also been used as a slur. So that's the only one where it's like doesn't fit in. Sometimes, but I've been leaning towards more saying person who is homeless because I feel like homeless person can sound like a slur based on those reasons. But I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah.
2: And I think mainly when we see, you know, mainly not all the time, but mainly when we see um, identity first language is when it's something that, you know, you can't really separate from the person. It's not something that changes. Right, my like, I don't get more or less autistic over time. I don't acquire <laughs> my autism, just like I don't acquire my queerness. I'm born with it. Mm-hmm. That's a part, a big part of who I am. You can't separate that from me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, you said that you're autistic. Do you want to mention the differences between autism and Asperger's or treatment of those groups?
2: In the DSM 5, there mm-hmm. is no Asperger's anymore. It's just all autism. Um, mm-hmm. And in the past, we have treated Asperger's and autism differently. Um, and really, one of the things in the autistic community, there is kind of a little bit of a debate um, of whether we should use the term Asperger's at all anymore. Really? And Tell yeah. Me. And a lot of this is for a few different reasons, um, one of them being that sometimes there is this super, superiority complex attached to the term and uses, usage of Asperger's versus autism, mm-hmm. and a lot of the times you can see individuals not wanting to associate themselves fully with autism or as being autistic. and using the term asperger's as oh like i'm not autistic like it's not quite severe like that bad Mm -hmm. and that's also where we see um lots of different labels like high functioning low functioning and Mm -hmm. things like that and that can get really tricky Mm -hmm. as well and that yeah we talked in a
1: previous episode about how some of the language has shifted towards support um, needs low needs needs. and Mm -hmm. uh, yeah low support needs and high support needs um individuals which is an interesting way of looking at it have you have you seen any other language change in the autism community that you've thought has been positive or negative
2: um i think mainly with mainly the kind of terms that are changing or are up for debate are identity first versus person first um the functioning labels and then asperger's versus autism i think those are kind of the main ones that i can think of right now
1: Mm
0: -hmm. interesting
1: yeah what are your thoughts on people appropriating like words like uh like retard if if you do associate with like Mm, that's a good um, question because i have a friend
0: who's an autist so and 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 if they're a retard once yeah issues with like I just said that word.
1: Yeah. But then there are also, I think, people who argue that it can also be considered more of a slur directed towards low uh, or towards, like, high um, needs or high support needs, like, um, autistic individuals. So right. it's a little bit of a mixed bag, I think, like, whether or not it's um, okay for low support needs. Um, autistic individuals to use it the same way. So what are your thoughts on that?
2: Um, I really think, you know, like using the R word, especially, you know, kind of trying to reclaim that in a sense. I think that's quite difficult. I can understand why some people would want to. Um, but I really feel like it's not quite the time yet if that makes Mm.
0: sense Ooh, that makes sense yeah because we've reclaimed so many other words but you're right john it definitely like Um, it still points to like someone because even for
1: when i say stuff like yeah because even for when i say stuff like gay or fag um very often i'm worried that maybe someone straight will hear me and Mm. not know or like even if they do know they'll still be worried like or like not not concerned because they'll think that it's okay if i say it right well that's just um, and some people don't
0: that would be limiting your audience because if you and i are texting john and we're like oh this isn't working gay it's between you and me or like an interview like you've seen i don't know if you've ever seen those interviews with men in prison who are like very low iq like offenders and the guy's like oh the doctor says i'm retarded i don't know and so like it's a like a a medical term they're like using to refer to themselves that's like the only times I've heard people use it referring to themselves otherwise it's totally an insult like a slaughter. yeah so I yeah those are my thoughts anyway. yeah Um. okay one more thing before we go to break you said Asperger was a Nazi Dr. Hans Asperger was he a Nazi yes
2: yeah Yeah, so that's another big, big reason why a lot of autistic people are pushing to get rid of the label Asperger because it was coined after um, Hans Asperger, who was involved in the Nazis, and he actively, you know, participated and contributed and assisted the eugenics program and sent disabled children to be experimented on and or euthanized. Oh, Jesus. So
0: wow yeah Yeah, definitely don't want to self-label with that guy's name oh my god that's like that j marion sims father of gynecology bullshit where it's like no you tortured your black slaves oh my god yeah okay Mm -hmm. i would be in in favor of a name change yeah oh my okay um we have to take a break we'll come back and i want to ask you a couple more things about yourself and then we'll get to some listener questions Rax is the first native app designed by and for sex workers. With unique features like a social feed, club reviews, income tracking, and event calendars, use it to grow your business at the touch of a button. For more information on RAX and more events, in-depth courses, and free content for adult entertainers, visit www.raxtoriches.com. R-A-C-K-S-2Riches.com and just for strange bedfellows listeners, use discount code SBP at checkout for 10% off any educational products. Are you looking for a sex worker-friendly therapist who specializes in gender and sexuality in the Portland, Oregon, or Vancouver, Washington area? Sue Uvery is licensed in both states. Visit www.GenderAndSexTherapy.com to learn more about Sue's offerings and her experience working with adults, youth, queer, and trans folks. Sue also accepts sliding scale rates for cash-only clients. Visit GenderAndSexTherapy.com to meet Sue and to create a path to self-care and wellness. Are you looking for personalized, non-judgmental medical care in Portland metro area? Solace Health, the office of Dr. Eric Shalan, provides full-spectrum primary care services including chronic disease and psychiatric medical management, acute injury and illness treatment, and men and women's sexual health in a unique model operating outside of the usual insurance system. Experience relaxed one-hour appointments with same-day availability as well as direct physician access via text, email, or phone for a flat monthly fee of $67 to $100 regardless of insurance coverage. Visit solacehealthpdx.com that's S O L A C E Health PDX for more information or call to schedule a free no obligation consultation to see if Solace Health is the right fit for your needs five zero three two three one three three seven one Solace Health PDX
1: Welcome back to Strange Bedfellows. We're talking about things that bother like us Nazis. and uh, some of those
0: are I can't believe I missed yeah that Nazis he- I can't believe us. I missed that he was a Nazi in my first reading of and my dozen readings after that of asperger dude bummer Mm -hmm. Mm. Mm -hmm. um okay so real quick some sensory sensitivities john you want to name like four my kid has earphones Uh, um she doesn't have an okay so the first one is go ahead
1: (laughs) styrofoam yeah like for sure styrofoam the sound of styrofoam rubbing against styrofoam will give me headaches and make me nauseous Mm. um just in general it bothers me so much anything like chalky as well like those types of surfaces um like loud high-pitched screeches um like a fork on a plate like that sort of thing will make me like want to throw up like really bad Mm. and i'll have to like lay down
2: Mm.
1: and like oh my god yeah Mm. and also just like those the sounds of like construction equipment if i'm close to it will make me like super anxious Mm. and there's like i'm not worried about getting hit or hurt or anything it's just the sound my brain just starts to like yeah, mm-hmm. also dentist drills. I was just at the dentist the other day and they had to put like so many meds in me.
0: Oh yeah, Like nervous. just to
1: get me to like sit down and do the drill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I have to do it again tonight and tomorrow yeah. like because they premedicate me at the night. And, yeah. Sorry, dude. Ugh.
0: Well, all of those things are agreeably like unpleasant Sound. to most people, but what does it look like when you're like sensitive yeah. to, to even more? So Hannah, do you have any things that come up for you?
2: Yeah, the kind of main sensory sensitivities that I have are around sounds and textures and some visuals. Um, I carry around two sets of earplugs for instances when it gets too loud or overwhelming. And sometimes I can pick up on like the tiniest, tiniest of sounds, which can get really, really bothering. Um, And then, yeah, I have a huge thing with textures, both in clothing and in food. So I can't wear like jeans and I'm very specific about certain fabrics or the tightness of clothing, like things like tags Mm -hmm. need to be cut out and hems need to be soft. And my mom actually used to, you know, she used to actually sew in like a little patch of satin over itchy hems or tags when I was little, since I was so sensitive to them. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. And then I would, when I was younger, like I've learned to cope with it a lot more as I grow up. But Mm -hmm. like when I was younger in the summer in the car, I have like a picture of me. I would wear sunglasses and then put a blanket over my head in the car to block out the sun. (laughs) And Mm. my mom always joked that it literally looked like she was like, taking a hostage around
0: <laughs> but nope, just my sunlight sensitive child
2: yeah exactly
0: okay so yeah. those are very specific um mm-hmm. just a random thought but like yeah. when you have these many um sensitivities like in the physical world it can also look like anxiety because it's like Mm -hmm. stressful like my partners know that it's just like stressful to be me sometimes because I'm worried about the dust on the floor and the dripping that no one else seems to be able to hear and what Mm. the fuck is that clanging on the window you know Mm -hmm. like I get asked by partners are like how do you see that or like I don't hear that or like what are you smelling yeah you know
2: yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. how do you not hear that
0: (laughs) right right so um in dating and this is going to go into dating I I used to say to my therapist that I felt like I would settle in relationships because I felt like I was a difficult person to be with because I have so Mm. many things Mm -hmm. but now it just means that my relationships I have are much stronger because they accept me for these things or in the case of my partner you know it's stuff that doesn't bother him or he has plenty of his own things so we're more understanding Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so let's do some listener questions hey johnny boy do you want to read the first one hey johnny boy do you want to read the first people who
1: identify as autistic or aspie or neurodivergent in similar ways
2: um i would have to say just like you know any other relationship obviously but just more so in relationships with disabled neurodivergent autistic people um Communication is such a huge thing, just really communicating what's going on, how you're feeling, kind of what the situation is, why you might be feeling like you're feeling and constantly checking in if you can. Like I think that's something that can really, really go a long way, obviously in Mm -hmm. all types of relationships, but especially in relationships um, when you're dealing with someone who's neurodivergent.
0: Mhm. Yeah. Um I've used this example before, but I remember when I started dating B, um it's like scary to be really head over heels with someone and you're texting them all the time and then if you don't hear from them, you start to be like, "Oh, maybe they don't like me." And John, you've dealt with this before. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I- You've been in the car with me like we've been driving and she'll be like hand me your phone when I was super obsessed with my now boyfriend <laughs> And she had to tell me and be like look put your phone down. Don't text him for 10 minutes mm-hmm. Just just don't it was and it was then hard like it was it worked out really well. Yeah,
0: it did It, it but, worked out great. Yeah, You're welcome But it was hard because <laughs> I
1: wanted to text back like within like seconds of getting the text mm-hmm. because I hated playing this game of you know waiting for people to reply mm-hmm. so here's my tip later he told me that yeah go ahead he like waited occasionally to not seem too desperate so he would wait like 10 minutes to reply and I'm like oh <laughs>
0: <laughs> meanwhile you're staring at the screen so here's my tip because what I did is I recognized that and I didn't want to fall into a pattern of what felt like game playing or just anxiety because I really liked this person so I was like I'm gonna try something new he already told me he 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 has no game and he appreciates direct communication spoiler alert he He's on the spectrum. So I told him, I'm going to put my phone away for about five hours. I need to focus on my stuff, but I'm going to text you after. And he was like, "Okay, thank you. And then I followed through. And now we've just created a bond because I'm reliable in what I said. And he wasn't stressed the whole time wondering if I was like, ew, I don't want to talk to this guy anymore. Mm. You know? Mm -hmm. So like that was something that was a key building block in our relationship was like, just tell me everything that's relevant. Like communicate directly. Yeah. I love that you said that. Yeah um i have one i would say please don't tease me about all of my things like my weird things that i do i'm aware of them (laughs) Mm. you know like yeah like if we're at a dinner party yeah don't tell everyone about how many times i check the locks or whatever
2: yeah and maybe like let me give like a little bit of an explanation if you need right like, this, this is kind of why I might do this, mm-hmm. but please don't, you know, poke fun at me. It can mm-hmm. be a sensitive subject.
0: So we have a little bit of a feedback portion here in our listener questions that this relates to the question. Uh, we're looking at a list on psychologytoday.com, Sex, Asperger's, and Autism, published March 1st of 2016 by Paul Johannes. I don't know how to say that. Um, what, what of these on here did you like, Hannah, on this list of resources? Um,
2: Yeah I really liked a lot of them. Um, The first one um, Nathan and Sylvia the YouTube video um, about the boy with autism or the autistic boy and his um, autism service dog I really liked that one I watched that one and then the rest of his YouTube channel Autism Actually Speaking I went through a few of his other videos and I really thought that was a really good resource I really liked that.
0: Cool. So that was Nathan and Sylvia Mm -hmm. on YouTube video and then Autism Actually Speaking, all in caps. Uh, Yeah. And there's some books on here. I wonder if... See, it's like, I, I I hope these are good recommendations. If anyone checks them out, let us know. But like this one sounds like a good idea. The Growing Up Guide for Girls, What Girls on the Autism Spectrum Need to Know. Uh, explains puberty, adolescence, using simple literal language and fun color illustrations, explains about body changes, growing hair, in new places, Mm -hmm. periods, wearing a bra, and more. Like, we all need this information, but if you're not as able to infer it from your peers, books are nice.
2: Yeah. What else on there? I mean, I think a lot of them, um, some of them did use, you know, Asperger's and stuff like that. But uh, that's, I mean, that's still in Mm -hmm. the process of being phased out. So, but I think a lot of, um, a lot of the resources that I saw Mm -hmm. on here seem pretty good. Like it seemed like a pretty solid list for different resources, articles, books, and stuff like that.
0: Okay, good, good. So everyone, again, it's called, put this in quotation marks in your little web search, sex, Asperger's and autism by Paul, J-O-A-N-N-I-D-E-S on psychologytoday.com. All right, so next question. I've never been diagnosed, but I'm reading more and more about autism and sensory sensitivities, and I'm pretty sure I have lots of those. I'll get ooh. they gave examples visually overwhelmed by mess and clutter the sounds of mouths and chewing or licking is a big irritant for me and I find a lot of sex to be unappealing because I'm afraid my partner or body will make noises that are stomach churning how do I cope with this I can't blast music all the Mm. time when I'm hooking up (sighs) honestly. I used to, that's why I used to get drunk before sex because the like clicking Mm. of like saliva in mouths sometimes makes me want to vomit. I have, I have a thing about saliva. It's really unfortunate because it's like a big part (laughs) of life, but, (laughs) and I'll, I'll do stuff like crack a window or run a fan because I don't want to hear like ambient noise. But then when I started making porn, I was like, oh God, you can't just run a fan because it sounds like crap or doing webcam So I've kind of just had to, I don't know, I just go into like a weird compartmentalization where if I'm working, I put that shit away. But personal life, it's still a challenge. This is still a challenge for me. So I'm interested if you guys have any tips.
2: I don't think I'd ever thought of it before.
0: That's cool. It's not an issue for you. No, I mean... This is a great example of how sex can be difficult.
2: Yeah, I mean, I know some people like are their sensory like seeking and sensory avoiding so figuring out when and you know which type you are in which situations and then yeah like you know opening a window or having a fan running or you know it doesn't have to be music with like lyrics because I'll find a lot of the time music with lyrics can Mm. get really overwhelming. If I'm trying to drown noise out or just have like a background noise, I'll have to put on something instrumental because it's not as, Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't take up as much energy in my mind. So possibly playing, you know, like something that's more Mm -hmm. gentle or just instrumental things like that could possibly help.
0: Yeah. Part of, uh, Sex with uh, music with lyrics is I'll hear the lyrics and then I'll start thinking about the lyrics. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Sensory seeking versus sensory avoiding. That's a good, that's some good tips. Maybe this person, if they could stand to get diagnosed, that might offer them some more suggestions. I don't know, but it's hard because we don't really talk Mm. sex with a Mm -hmm. lot of our, you know, providers. Um, Yeah, I mean, that might be something that is just one of your things. And, ooh, this could be something if you know this about yourself, tell your partners what you find unappealing so they don't start slurping on your whatever. Yeah. (laughs) You know, Um, and it is contextual because I'll say sometimes noises that really like what I described or what this person's describing bother me, I found in other instances Um, rarely, but sometimes I was able to tune them out because so many other appealing things were happening.
2: Yeah, exactly. Sometimes there are so many other things going on that you don't notice the smallest of noises.
0: Mm -hmm. All right. So let's take another break. Hey friends, are you sick of razor burn? Have your nethers cleaned up by the pros at Netherland's Wax in Vancouver, Washington, where experienced owner aestheticians have performed literally thousands of Brazilian waxes. Netherland's Wax is gender-neutral, sex-positive, trans and queer-welcoming, kink-positive, and body-positive. We are just over the 205 Bridge in Vancouver, Washington. Worth the drive. Find us on Facebook, Yelp, or netherlandswax.com. Are you a man looking for insight
1: into the male brain? Looking for a safe space to hear discussions about the problems men face every day? Are you struggling in daily life, but finding it hard to pinpoint the cause? Maybe your relationship is suffering. Maybe your job is sucking the life out of you. Or maybe you love sex, but aren't having any. Maybe you're just finding it hard to feel genuine connections well, head on over to the Brome podcast, where hosts Ben and Joe discuss many of the issues we face in daily life, but have little guidance in. You'll learn from the bros and from guests like L on how to talk to women or any fellow human being, how to be more understanding and compassionate towards others, how to listen to your partners in the sack, and much more. Brome podcast, B-R-O-A-U-M. Again, that's B-R-O-A-U-M. Welcome back to Strange Bedfellows. We're talking about autism. And this New York Times article says that early
0: treatment for autism is critical, new report says. Uh, So in December of last year, this article was published. Well, I'm sorry. This article was published January 6th of 2020. But it starts out by saying in December of last year, the American Academy of Pediatrics put out a new clinical report on autism. An extensive document with an enormous list of references summarizing 12 years of intense research and clinical activity. Um, One of the uh, this is my like just stick this in there but when we're looking at research we have to remember that the majority of time people who are studied are white and many times male but um, they have been doing more studies on females with autism so that's nice. but it says during this time, the diagnostic categories have changed. You mentioned that earlier, Hannah Asperger's syndrome and pervasive developmental disorder are no longer included. Uh, and we now consider all these children and adults to have autism spectrum disorder or ASD. And then of course they go into some of the, uh, characteristics of this, such as problems with social communication problems with conversation with nonverbal communication, uh, Restricted repetitive behavior patterns could be repetitive movements, rigid routines, fixated interests, and sensory differences. Um, the purpose of this report is to change how they can treat people and have understanding of conditions and how to support children as they grow. So they're saying that the average age of diagnosis is around four. The goal is to be under the age of two. i I'm kind of suspicious as to how you would even be able to diagnose someone under Two, that's really interesting to me. I don't know how you would do that.
2: Yeah, I think um, usually you're looking at kind of motor skills, language skills, and, you know, like, recognition skills, if that makes sense, when you're dealing with younger, younger kids Mm -hmm. and kind -hmm. of looking at those different, like, kind of benchmark moments and looking at where the children fall there because sometimes um, autistic children will either be like quite like in front of their peers or quite behind.
0: Right. Okay. So that makes sense. All right. I'm glad you have that background. So the point of this article is basically we need to do better. We're trying to do better. And a child with ASD needs a comprehensive plan, Dr. Levy said, addressing behavioral issues, uh, educational programming that is appropriate for the child's strength and weaknesses. Some children may need occupational therapy for sensory issues. Others have language delays. Um, they said before medicating a behavioral symptom, it's important to understand the behavior as thoroughly as possible. A child could be irritable because of gastroesophageal reflux or because of an inappropriate educational program. <laughs> And this doctor says there's no medication that's going to fix the core symptoms of autism. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, because it's genetic. So, and definitely impacted by your environments and everything else. Yeah. Genetic. (laughs) As far as we know. Yeah. Uh, So another sign that this is coming more to light in our common culture. There's a TV show coming out soon or maybe it's already out it's on the cable network freeform which caters to teens and young adults the show is called everything's gonna be okay it's a half hour comedy about a 20-something who steps in to take care of his two teenage half sisters when their father dies of cancer one of the half sisters Matilda is a high school senior with autism the character is played by actress Kayla Cromer who disclosed last spring that she has the developmental disorder herself do you like the word disorder? Or how do you feel about the word disorder?
2: I haven't done enough thinking on that. I know that there are some people in the autism community that don't like the word disorder. But, yeah, I can't really... I don't feel like I have enough information to speak on that.
0: Yeah, that's a good honest answer. I agree. I mean, I definitely don't. Uh, it would. It's nice if you can... Um, use the word diagnosis but then it's like you're still missing a noun <laughs> it feels like um yeah anyway so there's this tv show coming out um I don't really I don't have cable I don't watch tv but somebody let me know if this is anything good uh it premieres January 16th with two episodes starting at 8:30 p.m eastern time on freeform The show will tackle navigating autism, budding sexuality, consent, parenthood, adolescence, family, and grief. Yeah, this
2: is definitely um, a huge step forward for, um, you know, having an actually autistic actor portraying an autistic character.
0: Mm -hmm. There was a Ricky Gervais show a few years ago where he portrayed a man with developmental I'm going to say it, disabilities, because, huh, yeah, there's not a better word. Um, and I watched the show, and I liked it, but something felt mm-hmm. off to me. And then I was like, oh, wait, why didn't Ricky Gervais just hire an actor instead of pretending to be one?
2: Yeah, that's like we have, um, there's a show, The Good Doctor, about an autistic um, doctor, and he's not portrayed, well, he's, he's not played by... Um, mm-hmm. an autistic actor, and then the TV show Atypical, which is on Netflix, um, that I know a, quite a few people have heard about, but, you know, not everyone. Yeah, the yeah the main character, um, the actor, is not autistic.
1: I've watched that one, yeah. I like it. I've heard of it. I haven't watched it, yeah. I believe he's disabled, um, or he's, like, he has a...
2: I know they brought in, um, like, after a lot of kind of pushback of the first season of people being like, why didn't you hire an autistic actor to play an autistic person? And there were a few other things that, you know, didn't really fly so well in the first season. Um, They did actually bring in autistic actors to play autistic people, like background characters, kind of, in the second season.
1: But... Yeah, I know that they brought in Uh, him because he, I think he's gay and I think he might have a, um, he might be like differently abled, I think, but I, yeah, it sounds like he wasn't
0: Mm -hmm. autistic. I wonder how that would look in the future. Like, well, I mean, I kind of know how it would look because they're starting to do that. Like there's been public outcry for things like white people playing Mm -hmm. characters in books that were not white in the books. Yeah. I think Scarlett Johansson's done that like two times now. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay. So there was another article in here I wanted to get to. This seems like another obvious title I'm about to read, but a diagnosis of autism in adulthood can change self-concept for the better. Which I'm like, duh, when you have a name to put to something, sometimes it helps people feel better. I'll, everyone's different. But okay, so the article is called When a Late Diagnosis of Autism is Life-Changing by Aaron Bullius, PhD, and Abby Sesterka. Um, I would love to be properly diagnosed. I think it would answer a lot of questions and make me feel less ashamed and embarrassed about mm-hmm. um, some of my struggles, especially in school and social settings. Maybe I'll prioritize that in 2020, Uh, but this article says that a recent study explored the experiences of a number of late diagnosed adults who reported feeling alien and isolated and who were aware of not fitting in without understanding why before they were identified as autistic. It says themes familiar to the authors of this article are late diagnosed women, Hmm. Um, that's something we haven't mentioned, but do you find that, um, does that ever come up for you? Like being an autistic woman, does that, is there any difference you feel like from that and being an autistic boy?
2: There is a misconception that boys are more likely to be autistic when it's actually boys are more likely to be diagnosed. Autistic, um, women or people who are assigned female at birth, um, and are autistic, Mm -hmm are less likely to be listened to taken seriously especially um black brown indigenous women of color but i do know that um a lot of Mm. autistic women are misdiagnosed or just undiagnosed so there definitely is a huge difference there because the autistic traits Mm -hmm. can manifest Mm -hmm. a bit differently
0: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, totally. Um, so, being a lesbian, I'm sure mm. that's a different, like, whole other monkey wrench of dating. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there is there like a big enough gay community where you live where you feel like you have a decent sized dating pool as a lesbian? That's my question.
2: Definitely where I live now versus where I uh, grew up and went to high school. Um, I I'd say like it's it's a bit better. It's still, mm-hmm. you know, not amazing, but compared to, you know, my small town where I went to high school and literally knew everybody. Um and there was like, you know, four lesbians I wanna mm-hmm. say <laughs> in like mm-hmm. the entire town. There's yeah, definitely where I live now, um there's wow. it's a bigger city. So I feel like there's wow. a better LGBT community, a bigger dating pool.
0: What is your service dog's name? Her name is Coco. Oh, Coco! Yeah, I was gonna say, if, if you don't mind me asking, can we ask what what does your doggy look like?
2: Yeah, so she, <laughs> I I get questions about this all the time. It's fine. <laughs> Tell us about um, your dog. <laughs> I yeah, I do. Um, she is. I don't really know what breed she is, but our best guesses are kind of a border collie mixed with an Australian shepherd. So she's black with some white patches and then has these really, really blue eyes. We got her as like a puppy, like a pet first. We got her like six years ago. And then it wasn't until about four years ago that I started um, working with a trainer to train her to become a service dog. And she's been my service dog ever since.
0: That's so cool. That's awesome.
2: Was there anything
0: else that you wanted to discuss while we still have a couple minutes?
2: Um minutes? I feel like there's so much, but then you? at the same time, really nothing is coming to mind. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, oh, here's a question I had. Okay. Related to dating. Um, so do you feel like being autistic is a part of your dating life? Like in ways that you mention it, do you mention it at all?
2: I do. Yeah. I'm very upfront with it. Mm-hmm.
0: Like in getting to know someone. Okay. Yeah. I guess you kind of have to be anyway, cause you have a service dog. So it's not like you're hiding anything.
2: Yeah. 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 I do. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. It is kind of yeah a little bit of a giveaway, but um I am very upfront and honest about it i it took a little it took a while to actually get there like I will be honest it did take um, a while to be able to be comfortable with that but like I like I said it is a huge part mm-hmm. of who I am and affects how I see the world interact with the world, experience the world, and feel like you mm-hmm. know it is something yeah that I like bringing up to potential future partners
1: I feel like I can only like date an autistic person to be honest because I've noticed so many things that I do that would like bother like a person who is like I don't know has any measure of sanity um like (laughs) I listen to songs on loop like for several (laughs) days at a time like one song like just until like it makes people around me sick but then like mm. my boyfriend won't mind because like he also listens to like one song for like days on loop mm. <laughs> like we never like go through playlists or anything and uh, we'll just like B does that yeah and uh and just that. all sorts of stuff where like uh he'll yeah, yeah we just uh, i just i yeah i just i notice all these like ba- behaviors and mannerisms that i i appreciate that there's someone else who does them too And also has the patience for them, you know, like when you get overwhelmed, like sensory, like he's gotten overwhelmed before in like a restaurant where he's just like, it's too loud in here for me. Like, I'm just panicking. Like, I just can't. And then I'm like, same, honestly, like, Mm -hmm. it's just, uh, it's just, it feels like a drill in the back of your head when Mm -hmm. you're like anxious Mm -hmm. about social situations or sound or something. And you have to like get out of that situation and you don't feel calm until you are. And then even then you have to recover. So it's like tiring to exist
0: yeah and you have a partner who understands yeah when they're like i have to get out of here it's too loud it's like okay
2: yeah 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 you definitely need the people around you to be patient and understanding when it comes to different things that you deal with
1: yeah and i feel like that's hard it's hard to be understanding if you don't Mm. also relate like i i hope people would be but i can understand that maybe like they would just have a harder time mm-hmm. so it's it's like
0: I'm glad that uh yeah mm-hmm. yeah depends what's like normal to you you know if you're like oh yeah I act yeah. that way too that's normal to me you know uh oh one one last thing uh because we mentioned it so what what are your issues with ABA therapy yeah we mentioned it before and that was kind of why you came on
2: yeah 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 yeah, so that's a huge thing. John, you had ABA therapy, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, a lot of the problems with ABA therapy is like really the, you know, lack of consent and teaching children to kind of comply with anything that adults or authority figures say, you know, doing anything for Rewards and
1: also, I feel like there's just a lack of communication in <laughs> like a lot of the time. I don't know, it's how much informed consent is there, or or like how much option is there? Because if the entire point is to get someone to behave on your terms, then it's very difficult to not blur adhering to social cues in a way that's acceptable to be around other people and adhering to the social Mm -hmm. cues that you want them to do so it then becomes like this really frustrating tug of war between the person's personality and like the parents desire to have them fit in but also kind of be like a version of themselves but like yeah so it's there there's all sorts of problems that can occur when Mm -hmm. i think you like Mm -hmm. you know yeah
2: Yeah. and i think I think it really, Mm -hmm. a lot of it is kind of rooted in ableism and a lot of it is kind of like teaching people and children that a lot of like autistic traits are bad, you know? So there's like a lot of like planned ignoring or rewards, like verbal disapproval, withholding of comfort items and toys, um, you know like restraint and stopping these autistic mm. kids from you know stimming and self-soothing because it's seen as socially unacceptable and when really that's like a huge yeah. autistic trait and there's nothing wrong with it mm-hmm. like a lot of these things uh, there's nothing wrong with them the only thing that's quote-unquote wrong with them is that they are an autistic trait and that you look you know, autistic and, you know, we have to like really sit down and think about why mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. want our kids to look neurotypical, right? Like why do you really want your kid to look neurotypical? Why do you not want them to stim in public? Is it embarrassing for you or is mm-hmm. it actually a harm to themselves? Because some stims can be like
0: physically mm-hmm. hurting
2: themselves, but Things like rocking or flapping, you know, generally doesn't mm-hmm. really bother anyone. So why why not? Or giving mm-hmm. kids quiet stim yeah. toys to help self soothe. Mm-hmm. Y- you know, like why why not? The only reason a lot of the times is to fit in mm-hmm. or to look socially acceptable, act socially acceptable. And it's just because, um, we still have a lot of internalized ableism.
0: I can see that. Well, this has been very eye-opening. I think that's going to do it, everybody. Uh, Yeah. So thank you again, Hannah, so much for coming on. People can contact Hannah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Instagram at hannah.mcintyre, H-A-N-N-A-H dot Uh, M-A-C-I-N-T-Y-R-E. Thanks, John. As we wrap up the season, I'm so grateful to all of our guests that we could learn from. So thank you for listening to us and for reaching out. This thank was you. wonderful.
2: Yeah. Until thank you time. so much.
0: Yeah. All right, everybody. Until next time. Thank you for listening to Strange Bedfellows podcast. To find behind the scenes photos, bonus clips and journals from your guests and hosts. Type www.patreon That's p a t r e o n. dot com forward slash and join for only one dollar. Find us online at strangebedfellowspdx.com dot com and Instagram at strangebedfellowspdx. You can find me L Stanger on stripperwriter. dot com and Instagram as L Stanger.
1: Write your hate mail or sex and relationship questions to pillow talk at strange and find me john on instagram at metric.cafe please rate and review our show on your favorite listening app thanks for
2: supporting sex education and freedom of expression